Hey, now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I'm here right now in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, at the Living the Dream Studios. And we got a special guest here who is also somewhere around here in Portland, Oregon. Um, he's a beat reporter for the Oregonian for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, he's also doing some sports enterprise work at the Oregonian as well. He's a guy that I'm glad to have on here, a friend, a homie, and a dynamite journalist, Aaron Fentress. Thank you so much for joining me today here on the Street. I'm mean, oh, the Street Roots podcast. That's my other one, the Wake Up and Win <laughs> podcast. <laughs> hey, don't forget also, fellow fellow boxer. Fellow boxer, I was going to get to that part, man, because it's a couple of reasons that I'm glad that you're on here right now. The first reason is because, indeed, what you just said, you're my fellow comrade when it comes to um, our love and and our allegiance to Pacific University, where we both attended college at. But I'll be honest with you, there's another reason that I'm happy to have you on here, because I think the last time I interviewed you had to be in 2017, because that's when we were doing the Justin and Devon show. Obviously, I was co-hosting that. but I'll be honest with you, man. You were one of my favorite people to come on to our show, but it absolutely had zero to do with me. It had everything to do with every time you came on to the show, within the first minute or two of that particular radio segment, either you were going to have a take that Justin Myers disagreed with, <laughs> Justin Myers was going to have a take that you disagreed with, and next thing you know, whatever that take was that came from either one of you was going to turn into a 10-minute debate, and then, boop, what do you know, the radio segment is over, and I just sat in the back seat the whole time listening <laughs> to argue and debate on, on the radio show. <laughs> yeah, Justin and I go way back, man. We uh we 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 read each other very well. And the thing about Justin is that he's one of the few people who doesn't get all bent out of shape when I debate with him. Yeah, so people are just so so many softies around here. They're so mentally weak. Yeah. But Justin can take it, Justin can dish it, and so we have fun together. And then that's why things just take off. No, absolutely. And and I could tell that was the case. And obviously, I've had these conversations with Justin about it as well, because I'm in studio with the guy. And like I said, I'm sitting back kind of being quiet, but I am enjoying the banter between you two. And for somebody like me who was young, coming up in the game, I'm doing my first radio show with Justin. I had to kind of be there and sit kind of stern in certain moments to make sure that he didn't get up under my skin with some of the takes that he had. Cause I'm working <laughs> with the guy three hours a day. So, so I get it and I understand it, but I also could tell the type of personality that you are the type of journalist. And, and just like I said, media personality that you are, that you have an opinion and you have a strong opinion and you're not afraid to let that opinion be known. So that's why I'm, I'm happy to have you here today because certain topics that I would have wanted to know your opinion on back then, I couldn't really get to it because you two were arguing over the Oregon Ducks <laughs> or something. <laughs> like, oh, I kind of care, but it's something else I want to talk about, fellow black man. <laughs> <laughs> you're over shopping on Amazon while we're arguing. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so like I said, obviously with the work that we do, um, we're always covering everybody else's career. And trust me, we're going to talk about some of these other people's that, that, that you've been covering and their careers and what it is that they're doing, especially when it comes to those Portland trailblazers amongst others. But I want to talk about your career because very recently um, you went back to the Oregonian and I know, you spent how much time at the Oregonian your first go round there? 21 years, man. 
21 years, and then you were away from there for how long? Seven. Seven years, and now you're back. So I want to come back. And now you're back. <laughs> so, so I want to kind of just, you know, learn more about how that transition has been kind of between your first stint at the Oregonian and now being back at the Oregonian. How has that all kind of played out for you? Uh, you know, I, I had an opportunity to go do some, some television at NBC um, seven years ago and still write. I was covering the Ducks and I thought, you know, this would be cool do something different. Uh, so I made the move over there and the first four years were great. The next two years, things got a little weird. They started hacking shows, you know, we went from, <laughs> you know, two, two and a half hours of college football. Well, actually we went from, we went from five hours a week of college football during the season on TV to an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's a significant <laughs> hack. Yeah. Half hour Ducks, half hour Beavers. I wasn't on the Beaver show. And so it was just, you know, to the point where I was like, well, I came over here to do TV. We're not doing TV anymore. Yeah. Um, so I ended up, uh, you know, looking to make a change. I went to the athletic for a year and then uh, things didn't work out there. So I ended up back at the Oregonian. A little surprise covering the Blazers. Uh, but, you know, when that job was offered to me because I reached out to them and, and they're like, well, we don't know what we can do right now. But then they, they, some things fell into place. And they said, we want you to cover the Blazers. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I've covered football. You're right. Uh, Seahawks or Ducks for the last 15 years. Um, and, and that's one of the few beats, actually, in this state that I haven't covered full time. Um, and so I was a little surprised, but they had some movement going on that just created that opening. And I'm like, you know what? This sounds actually kind of fun. I've never done it before. Let's do it. Um, yeah. And it, and it, yeah. And it's kind of, uh, you know, it's also weird, too, because usually – you know, nine times out of ten, when someone changes jobs and takes over a new team, you do that in the off season. Um, and so I was doing it like, you know, a couple of weeks before the restart of this bizarre situation where the NBA is taking place three thousand miles away, hardly anyone sending reporters into the bubble. We certainly weren't going to. So I'm covering a team at the tail end of its season, which is beginning of sort of a restart season, and they're three thousand miles away. So it's been yeah, <laughs> it's been bizarre. <laughs> to say the least, but I'm, you know, happy to be back at the Oregonian. You know, it's, you know, what's the coolest part about it really is so many people are still there that I worked with years ago um, wow. in some capacity, whether it was in news back in the day when I was a news reporter or early on in sports or later on in sports. Um, so it's just a lot of familiar faces. There were people in news like emailing me and saying, hey, Harold, glad to have you back, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was, that was kind of cool. The only thing though, and I've been complaining about this regularly because I want to keep it, you know, in the forefront. So when things change with the whole COVID thing, I can get what's coming to me. And that's my welcome back cake. Like, I'm still pissed uh. <laughs> that, you know, brother couldn't get a welcome back cake. You know what, what I'm kind, saying? Like, what, what, what kind of welcome back cake? Strawberry cake, chocolate? What are we talking about here, Fentress? You know, I'm kind of a, a yellow cake chocolate frosting guy. Okay, or, okay. Or, or I could do a cheesecake. That's somewhere in that realm. It probably would just be a store-bought cake from, like, the Safeway down the street. That's okay. You know, I still want my cake, though. So when, when things go back to nor or normal and the Oregon is like, okay, everyone can come back into the office, I'm getting me a cake. Yeah, I'll, I'll, be, sure to write, <laughs> I'll be sure to write a letter to the editor so that they can get you your cake for being back over there at the O. And so, yeah. so you know, obviously now you're there, you're back at the Oregonian, and you're covering the Blazers, as you mentioned, for the first time full time and 
I want to just get straight into some of the stuff that's going on in the bubble, starting off with them in particular, then we'll kind of branch out to the rest of the league. But um, first off, I got to come on my own platform and I got to give an apology to Carmelo Anthony. And here's why. About three years ago, yeah, three years ago, 2017, when I'm doing the Justin and Devon show, uh, I remember Dame was having his summer camp and Dame acknowledged the press. He, he had, you know, he had press come to all of his kids' summer camps that he does every year. So the press shows up, Dame comes and he speaks with the press, with the press. pretty much openly trying to recruit Carmelo Anthony at that particular time. And once that happened, obviously, we discussed it on radio. It was one of my funner segments on radio because I, I, I did a pitch to Carmelo Anthony and Lala as well on trying to recruit them and support Damon recruiting them to come here to the city of Portland. Obviously, that doesn't happen. But after that, he does end up getting signed with uh, the Thunder, I believe it was, and then he ended up signing with the Rockets. Both of those, I don't think, went so hot for Carmelo. And especially after that last Rocket stint, I was kind of discouraged, and I kind of felt like Carmelo had let me down because I had already really kind of looked back for Carmelo and supported him, and I felt like his comeback wasn't the comeback that I wanted to see from Carmelo. So you fast forward to November, and the Blazers signed Carmelo Anthony, and I'm no longer excited for that move. It felt like a desperation move to me. I thought Carmelo's career was over. I wasn't even really sold on what he had to say when he went on first take, um, trying to kind of make a point to, to folks within sports media and obviously beyond that he felt like he still deserved a shot to be back in the NBA and that he can come and make a difference. But I'll tell you, man, he's come back this season and he's made a tremendous difference I don't think the Blazers would even be in the bubble had Carmelo Anthony gotten signed. And obviously here in the bubble, he knocks down three big three-pointers, two in that first game and one last night that essentially wins the games, those two games for the Blazers. And instead of them starting 0-3 in the bubble, they're now 2-1. and um, But I know you wrote a piece today acknowledging Carmelo. Could you just kind of speak more to that piece and, and, and kind of tell more why I was out of pocket for doubting the man in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting because I'm trying to remember who show I was on. I, I, I think I was either doing your show with Justin when you were off or I was with Kanzano. I can't remember who I was with, but it was when the whole uh, situation was going down in terms of where Carmelo was going to go and Portland was trying to get him. Yeah. Like, I, was, I, I remember being in the studio, but I can't remember who was across from me, the Kanzano or That Justin. was Justin because I know you came on and substituted for me. And, and filled right. in for me at one point during that, that show. So that was the summer. Yeah, that was the okay, summer. So, so maybe it was Justin. And we were talking about Carmelo, and I was all for it. I was like, yes, go get this guy. I hated that narrative out there. Like, there were callers calling in, talking about he's a cancer. I'm like, name one thing he's ever done. Like, the, like Carmelo's a cancer? Like, the way people talk about him, like he's a dog or something. Like, what has he ever done? He's yeah. a ball hog. Okay, yeah, you're right. He has been a ball hog at times, especially in New York when he played with nobody. But guess who else was a ball hog? Michael Jordan was a ball hog. You know, Kobe Bryant was a ball hog. There's been a lot of good <laughs> ball hogs out there. Yeah. They were ball hogs for a reason. So I was like, my feeling was if he came to Portland, he wouldn't be a ball hog. He would acquiesce to Dame because it was Dame's team. Right. He's near the end of his career. He just wants a chance to win. He hadn't won 
since I think we've been to the playoffs once with the Knicks in eight years, I think, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, it was pretty bad. It was, I will say, for him to be as much of a ball hog as he was, to me, that was, he underachieved in New York. To me, he underachieved. And he I should think his, but to New York, to the Bulls, we had a chance. Yeah, I, well, you're a Chicago guy, so of course you yeah, got a little, you got a little bit of stock in that. But but I hear you. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so um, so anyway, I was all for it, and I thought it would work. He would give a scoring option. You know, if teams were trying to take away Dame or CJ, boom, you give it to Carmelo. Who's going to deal with that guy one on one? If he gets doubled, I believe wholeheartedly he'd give it up to those two. Like I thought it would work perfectly. Of yeah. course, it didn't happen. He went to OKC, and then he goes to Houston for one year. I thought in Houston he'd actually work out in Houston. It didn't for whatever reason. I never really looked into it, but I thought he was done. So I'm with you, actually, in the whole, eh, bring him back. Why? Um, and I, I wasn't against it. Like I was like, no, no way. But yeah. I didn't think he would have that huge of an impact. Right. Um, and clearly, he has made an impact. Now, I have to say this, though. <laughs> I get accused sometimes. I get accused sometimes being you know negative or whatever i'm not negative i'm a realist let's yeah. be real what was their record with carmelo anthony this year it wasn't that good <laughs> yeah so it's not like he could, like they went to the west finals the year before right with aminu and harkless and those guys now you know so to, for me to sit here and say that carmelo anthony came in and has been just this unbelievable presence and force that's just not true they were not going to the playoffs yeah uh with him they were not winning a lot of games with him. It wasn't all his fault. I'm not saying it was because of him. I'm just saying that he wasn't allowing them to overcome their deficiencies, obviously, since they had a much worse record than they did since, like, Dane's first year. Right. Right? That, that, right. I've been on 500, I think, since Dane's first year. Um, so, you know, you have to be realistic. Now, that said, now, at this point in the bubble – yeah, you know he's rested. Like every, this, this is one of the reasons why I think the Lakers are going to run away with it because LeBron's rest, rested. Well, Carmelo's rested. He may be thirty six, but he's not feeling thirty six after a four month layoff. He kept himself in shape. He lost weight, and at the end of the day, you know, even if you you get older, you can still you know the last thing that goes is your jump shot, is your shooting touch. You're not going to lose that. You know, yeah. good shooters. You know, if you're an NBA shooter like Ray Allen at sixty five could drop 10 straight threes like it's nothing to walk yeah, away. Yeah, absolutely. Because, right. So Carmelo is in these situations now because of Dan, because of CJ and Nerd, where he's basically the fourth guy, where he's getting these open looks in crunch time. Well, all that experience, all that moxie, those stones, that cold-bloodedness that's been in his heart his entire life, he's not scared of that moment. And yeah. not only is he not scared of that moment. Especially with had, no fans, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. He's, <laughs> he's had such so many, so few of those moments in the latter part of his career, and he's probably been craving and starving it for this, and he's getting the opportunity, he's making the most of it. And it's fun to watch, because he is, like Gary Trent said, Gary Trent's like, man, everyone should apologize who said something bad about him. You know, he's one of my favorite players growing up. You know, he's Carmelo Anthony. Like, it's like, put some respect on his name. You're talking yeah. about a 10-time All-Star a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, he's delivering right now. So we'll see how, how it goes the rest of the way. Absolutely. Well, thanks for talking me back down because I think it was Gary Trenton, your article, that made me come on here and cough up an apology <laughs> on my very own platform. But now that you say it, they weren't going to the playoffs before. Car I mean, while Carmelo Anthony was here all year long, they got lucky that they're in the bubble. But damn it, he's showing up in that bubble. But I don't want to just give him he credit showing for showing up. up in the bubble because I do think he showed up enough all year long to where 
you know, it made somewhat a difference. Like I said, I don't think they're in the bubble at all if they don't sign Carmelo Anthony. So right. I'm not going to give right. them too I much agree. praise for it. But, yeah, they're not in the bubble at all if it wasn't for Carmelo being signed in November and, and helping them out, you know, and contributing what he was able to contribute at that time. Um, but sticking with the Blazers here, okay, they have a big win last night. I think you have the two best backcourts in the bubble. I won't yet say the two best backcourts in the NBA because I'm not going to disrespect Steph and Clay like that. But obviously, Steph and Clay <laughs> aren't in the bubble right now. So the two best backcourts in the bubble matched up last night. Obviously, the Blazers got Damon CJ. Houston Rockets got Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Big win for the Blazers last night. Obviously, they needed it because they're fighting for that final spot in the Western Conference to, to make it to the playoffs this year. Um, now, between – obviously, today we're recording on Wednesday, so tomorrow it'll be released. What's best-case scenario going into tonight's game – and I say that with air quotes um, – against the Denver Nuggets because that's going to be a big game as well. And obviously, I know worst-case scenarios, the Blazers could not make the playoffs. But what's best-case scenario where we stand right now? Uh, well, shoot, they got a lot of help on uh, Wednesday because Utah beat the Grizzlies. Oh, my God, am I screwing this up? Utah, I just read about this. I swear I'm getting old or something. Utah, Utah beat <laughs> Take your time. Take your Denver. time. <laughs> Wait, Utah beat the Grizzlies and Denver beat the Spurs? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. that's right. Utah yeah. beat the Grizzlies. It was the, days the that, it was the days that stumbled you, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I literally was figure out, trying to figure out who played who. <laughs> so they were both today, on yeah. Wednesday, excuse me. But anyway, the point is, uh, the Spurs losing, because they were a half game behind Portland after Portland won on Tuesday night. So that made them a full, full game ahead of San Antonio. Now, if they could actually finish tied with San Antonio and be okay because they hold the tiebreaker because they beat them twice out of three times in the regular season. So in theory, they're really two games ahead of San Antonio now because San Antonio has to finish a full game ahead of them to overtake Portland. Gotcha. Uh, the Grizzlies losing drops them down to one game ahead of Portland. So, and they've lost four. Jaron Jackson's out for the season with a torn meniscus, who's their second best player. That team is free falling. Uh, I, I'd be surprised at this point if they win two games the rest of the way. Portland is in a really good position right now. You know, at first coming in, it was like to stay within four games of Memphis of force to play in. Well, now Portland's in position, a really strong position, to be the eighth seed and have someone else at nine try and beat them in the play on playing and have to beat them twice. Right. Now, the other side of this is that Portland has some serious tough games coming up. Now, they just played two really tough games. They won. They went one and one. They've got Denver coming up uh, tonight, Thursday night. And Denver is 3-0 against the Blazers this year and have lit them up from three-point range. Like, they shot over 50% in all three games. Uh, and they're looking pretty good. Then you got the Clippers, who have a lot to play for, because the Clippers are a two-seed with Denver and, and Houston right behind them. That's coming in. And then they got Philly. Philly's jockeying for some position here and there. They, they may or may not mail it in. I don't know. I think Dallas, though, will mail it in when Portland plays them. And, and the Nets, of course, should be an easy win. If you can't beat the Nets, you know, that's on you. Right. So I think where we stand right now, the biggest threat in reality is the Pelicans because the Pelicans have a pretty easy schedule down the stretch. By easy, I mean they don't play – teams that already have locked in playoff games remaining I think except for maybe playoff teams excuse me they don't play teams that are locked in the playoffs the rest of the way I don't think they have the Spurs 
think they got the Grizzlies, and I think they've got the Kings twice, and maybe one other team that might be a true playoff team right now. But they have a really good chance to win four of their last five games. I think they're going to start playing Zion more often as we move forward. Um, so to me, the biggest threat right now, as long as Portland doesn't fall to pieces, is going to be Memphis maybe passing them up and being eighth, and then Portland's ninth, and they have to beat Memphis twice, or Portland is able to move into eighth, and then the Pelicans have to beat them twice. Got it, got it. So let's say you got all that. You didn't get I all got, that. I, I got didn't get all, all that. I got I didn't it. I didn't get it. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it though. I got it though. It's that boxer connection that we talked about earlier. <laughs> if you drop it, I got it for you, man. We we come we come <laughs> from the same claw. But um, now, with that being said, in theory, let's say the Blazers win a playoff game or two, or playing games, excuse me, or two playing games, or just do whatever they got to do to ultimately get that AC. Yesterday, LeBron, Anthony Davis, two days ago, whatever it was, they locked in the number one seed in the Western Conference. Um, Speak to what you could see from that potential series, the Blazers in the eighth seed playing against LeBron and Anthony Davis as the number one seed. Because I think that's not really the team you want to play as a number one seed uh, being LeBron and Anthony Davis and the rest of the Lakers crew over there against Dame, CJ, and this experienced crew, this experienced team, this experienced coaching staff in the first round of the playoffs after you just earned a one seed. Yeah, because, you know, this team is better than it was during the regular season because they got back two key pieces in Nurkic and Collins. So obviously if those two had played all season, they wouldn't have been, you know, ninth trying to, chase down Memphis with 16 games to go, which is what the situation was in March. You know, they probably would have been seventh um, in, you know, trying to move up a little bit as, as opposed to where they are right now. So I think clearly they're not a typical eight seed because I think they would be better than that with those two pieces all season long, plus the addition of what Carmelo brought. Um, but come on. <laughs> Dude, I, I, you know, I'm already, I'm already pissing off a few, a few Blazers fans here and there on Twitter. Because, right. you know, I like, I like to keep it real. The yeah. Lakers, listen, arrested LeBron James. Okay, he's already highly motivated for one. They didn't yeah. make the playoffs last year, right? Um, you know, he's taking some grief for that. Uh, he still only has the three titles only. I say that in air quotes. Uh, that's still a great career no matter what. 100%. But, yeah, but so he was already motivated, but now you gave him four months off? Yeah. That's heavy. Wait, what? <laughs> so, so now he's fresh. So now he's he's October, November LeBron, but yeah. in the playoffs, in a bubble situation with no travel. He just has to just roll out of his hotel room, go to the arena, and whip tail. And he's doing it with a, a, a true number one as his number two. This is the best guy he's ever played with. And Anthony Davis, I say that with all due respect to Wade, um, mainly, you know, because Wade obviously is great, but Wade wasn't six eleven. Right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I agree with you. I'm, yeah. I'm, if yeah. I didn't agree with you, I'd let you know. I agree here. Yeah. <laughs> and this is basketball, and six eleven matters when you're that athletic. So Can't teach to you. me, yeah, to me, I don't think there's anyone in the West that's going to touch uh, those two and whoever else is around them on a given day. And right. Portland's going to be one of them. You know, look what. You know, there was a game the other day they played, oh, the Clippers game. You know, down the stretch, you know, let me look. If team gets high, if the Blazers come out one night and shoot 55% from three, they're going to win that game. Great. But all things created equal, in the last four minutes is what matters. When LeBron turned it on on George and Kawhi, what happened? Shut them down. Shut them down. again. Absolutely. And so, right. And so, 
unless you blow them out, how are you winning a close game against those two? Like, if you like, like, I mean, what's the best tandem in the NBA? Well, there's, it's not even close. It's LeBron and Davis. How do you beat them in the last five minutes of a close game if you avoid getting blown out in the first place? So I just don't think Portland has a shot in hell against those two in a seven-game series. You have to beat them four times, dude. They're not going to beat them four times in, in a week and a half. Not going to happen. I would agree with you on that, but what I will say is I think having to play against a team like Portland in the first round, and I understand what you're saying, you don't have to travel. They've had four and a half months off and all of that, but I think Portland poses a big enough challenge where even if the Lakers get by Portland, which they probably will, whoever they have to play in that second round, and ultimately if they do end up meeting with the Los Angeles Clippers, whether it be in that Western Conference semis round or in obviously the conference finals, uh, that's not an easy road to have to go through to win a championship. And that's why I won't discredit whoever the champion will be here in the bubble. I know a lot of people tr- are, are going to try to kind of put an asterisk to this season because of how unique it's been due to the things that have happened in this world, <laughs> essentially. But I still think having to play the Blazers yeah. in the first round could have some impact on where you stand in the latter rounds of the playoffs and ultimately – at the end, when you're trying to hold up a championship trophy in Orlando, Florida. So, I mean, that that's where I'm at right now. I, I do have – honestly, I do have the Clippers winning in the West. Um, I, I just think – Wait, what? I, I, yeah, I said it. I said it. I do have the Clippers winning in the West, especially if Montrez Harrell ends up coming back. I mean, obviously, he needs to take his time. He's got more serious stuff going on than that he's dealing with. But I, I, I flat out think the Clippers are a better team than the Lakers. I do. And I think Doc Rivers will outcoach Frank Vogel if that scenario ends up coming to fruition. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now so it's story time. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to no, say? No, I was just going to say, so you, you're making a big deal about having to play the Blazers. Like, that could be taxing, whatever. But, you know, the Clippers are going to have to play Dallas and Luka and Porzingis. You yeah, know, you're right. See right now Denver – is going to have to play, you know, OKC. Like, everyone's going to have it. Like the West, yeah, stacked. So everyone's going to have a tough, you know, a tough first round opponent. So I just don't think in the end that, you know, when the when the Lakers win that series four games and one, it's going to matter much. Plus, here's the other thing: <laughs> Lakers are done. They got the West sewn up, which means from here on out, they're going to be chilling anyway. Yeah, that's true. They're on cruise control now. They can be on cruise control yep. and, while, and, while Portland's got to grind. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense. Um, Now, like I said, I do want to kind of get into story time because this is one of the things where I could never get your opinion on back in those days because you were too busy talking about the damn Ducks with Justin. Shout out to the Ducks because we're still going to talk about them today. But (laughs) (laughs) but um, so yesterday uh, I'm kicking back. I'm watching NBA games, actually, and I have a cousin. His stage name is Simba. Um, He's doing his thing in the music scene, in the hip hop scene, he signed to Atlantic records. And so he's pretty well connected with some wow, folks. Nice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty well connected with some folks. And so he goes on Instagram live often with a lot of different celebrities that he knows throughout the industry and just kind of has casual conversations with them. And they, they tend to be pretty cool. And so yesterday he is on Instagram live. He's good friends with Martellus Bennett. I know you know who Martellus Bennett is, but for the listeners, Martellus Bennett is a retired wide receiver in the NFL. 
He played roughly 10 years in the league, and he also has a brother by the name of Michael Bennett, one of the better defensive linemen in the NFL, played uh, for a good portion of time of his career with the Seattle Seahawks, and now he's – is he in New England? He's, I think he's in New England now, but even if he left there, he's – He's just retired. Oh, he did. Oh, he just retired. Okay, so Michael Bennett, now both the brothers are retired. Um, But they're both two dudes that have been very outspoken when it comes to um, activism within sport, um, social issues and things of that sort. Now, a few days ago, I saw Martellus Bennett tweet out something to the extent of taking a knee in 2020 don't hit no more like it did back in 2016, 2017, when Colin Kaepernick was taking the knee. And so when I saw my cousin was on live on, on, on Instagram live with Martellus Bennett, you know, I, I'm in the comments and I tell Cuzzo to ask him to sort of elaborate on that because I did see the tweet and I wanted to hear more on it. And essentially Martellus Bennett, Cuzzo shouted me out, asked the question and Martellus Bennett shitted on what the NBA players are doing um, from the Black Lives Matter being on the court to the slogans on the back of their jerseys. But I think the ultimate point that he was really trying to get at is that we're putting too much responsibility on athletes to have to carry the responsibility of the messaging that's going out and to look to them to sort of be the leaders in this very moment and that there's more significant people with platforms that we should be looking to during these times instead of the athletes. Some of it I agree with to an extent, some of it I didn't agree with. But what I do want to ask you is, do you think taking a knee in 2020 slaps the way that it did back when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee? Because obviously you're seeing it every night covering the NBA. Um, all these teams essentially are taking a knee and there's a handful of guys that are still standing during the anthem. But what are kind of your thoughts when you compare this moment we're in right now with the NBA to the moment back when Colin Kaepernick initially started taking a knee in the NFL? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I, I mean, clearly, we've shifted from one person and, and a few others doing it being this monumentally controversial thing that got the president involved to now everyone's doing it, and there's still some out there crying, but the people in power aren't saying anything about it because right. they can't. Because they realize that now, it's like, oh, I can't say anything now because everything's shifted uh, post-George Floyd. Um, so if you want to say it doesn't have the same impact because it's not as controversial because it's maybe didn't been diluted, I guess you could say that, but wasn't that the point? Like, that's how I, I, feel. I, <laughs> I feel like Colin Kaepernick's entire point was to draw attention to an issue that a lot of African Americans, black people, whatever we we're calling each other these days, and sometimes <laughs> I just confused, right, I hear you. <laughs> have have uh, have been screaming about for a century, you know, yeah. or well, two centuries since since we were allegedly freed, right? Right. So um, the fact that we're to the point now, where I mean. These marches and these protests that we've had across the country for three months are 75% white people. Yeah, they are. Right? They are. I mean, these protests in Portland that we've seen, Portland is, I mean, Portland is what, 88% white? Yeah. So the, the protests people, are probably at least 70% white. 
Right. But, so we're yeah, the seeing, people we've been trying to get through to the entire time. Right. And now, now even, um, you know, when there are protests in Boston after the Aryan Nation marches that led to the one guy running over the woman, I can't remember her name, sorry. You know, there were marches in Boston that were, you know, probably 95% white, since we all know Boston's demographics. So I, I think what we've seen in the last few years is how things have shifted to where, you know, people who maybe weren't racist but weren't attention are paying attention. Right. And um, taking it more seriously. Whatever reason, you know, because we've had all these videos. Like, it's not like we haven't had dozens and dozens and dozens of examples. This one resonated even more um, because it was slow. It was slow. It was radical. It wasn't a quick, quick bang, bang. Oh, I thought he had a gun, right? Yeah. It yeah. was, we got this guy down on the ground. He allegedly passed a $20 bill that was counterfeit, which it was not. And, we, and he was begging for his life, saying he can't breathe. And this guy just stayed on him and he died. Yeah. Like, now everyone was like, okay, that, for whatever reason, that was the one. So now we're through the looking glass on the, which is exactly what Cop Kaepernick was trying to do years ago. So I don't see how anyone can look at what's going on as a negative in, unless you just liked it better when we were spat on for bringing up these issues, as opposed yeah. to actually receiving you know, pretty strong support uh, from a lot of people in power positions, which I think, which I thought at least was the ultimate goal. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. Like I said, I, I think I understood what he was saying to an extent because I don't like forced activism. So when you see these players taking a stance, like, for example, I really don't like, honestly, I really don't like when we criticize people that are actually still standing. Like that part, I don't like. Oh God, I don't yeah, want the Jonathan people that are still standing. My- yeah, yeah, like, like what people. Myers doing, Leonard. Oh. Yeah, Myers Leonard, but especially with Jonathan Isaac, people shitting on him because he stood during the national anthem and didn't take a knee, and now that same knee essentially he has a torn ACL on. Like, cut it out. Like, I'm not really here for that. But yeah, I don't, I don't like forced activism. Like, if an athlete doesn't feel led to really stand up in this moment. Even though you should feel compelled to, I, I really don't want you to force yourself to stand in this particular moment because in the end, you might do something that isn't beneficial to the movement, isn't, isn't beneficial to the social climate that we're in because you're really not truly invested in it. So I got what he said to an extent, but as far as like the commodification of taking a knee and everybody being able to now take a knee and it's accepted when there was a time that it wasn't accepted, I agree with you 100%. We should be glad that within a three-year time span, we've seen what Colin Kaepernick did go from not being accepted to being as widely accepted as accepted as it is right now. Right. We agree 100%. And yep. I was really, really annoyed by it. I thought Isaac's, I thought his explanation was kind of like rambling and kind of weird. Um, but I just didn't care. And then Monard, you know, he has a military family. He just felt more comfortable standing. And it's like, that's fine. Because I, and I tweeted something about it. I'm like, if you were triggered by Cap, um, you know, I think you were wrong. But if you were offended by Isaac and Myers Leonard, you're a hypocrite. Because the whole, for one, to me, has, I mean, aside from drawing attention to, you know, police brutality, is the right to take them if you want to. Right. Or don't. And the fact that that single thing was politicized to the point that it was, 
is what made me want to pull my hair out and I have no hair. So when I see Myers Leonard standing, I, I could, like, I can't even tell you how little I care that he was standing. Yeah. Or Isaac for that man. I'm like, okay, good for them. They're standing. They, that's fine. That's their choice. And here's the other thing. Wasn't Myers Leonard wearing a Black Lives Matters t-shirt while he was standing? He absolutely was. <laughs> he absolutely was. And came out and said yeah, that he supports were, Black Lives Matter. He just had a brother in the military. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we're, but, people are, but people are bashing him because he didn't take a knee. It's like, how ridiculous have we become? This stuff is symbolism. It doesn't, what matters is what's in someone's heart and what their actions are, not whether they're kneeling, sitting, or standing. That's all just stupidity. And I worked with a guy, you know, who never once stood for a national anthem at a Seahawks game. I covered 18 games with him. He never once stood for one national anthem. Now, me, I tend to just do it out of reflex. I'm so over the national anthem, though. I'm not a, <laughs> like, okay, first of all, I mean, yeah. I'm just over, like, as a ritual, I just think it's corny. So usually what I do is I go out in the concourse or I go out somewhere where it's acceptable to just sort of walk around and do whatever. I'll go to the back. I'll time my body break for the national anthem, right? Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I tweeted something this summer, maybe it was in the spring, uh, where people were talking, you know, it came up again, people were going crazy. And, uh, I went, I, I kind of knew this already, but I wasn't, it was kind of fuzzy, but I looked it up. It was like the national anthem was written by a slave owner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> written for black people. Yeah. So the idea that we're supposed to stand for it, it's just lunacy to me. It's like, what are you talking about? This literally was written by a guy who owned slaves and was against freeing slaves. Why on earth would any black person ever stand for it and put their hand on their heart and sing this song, regardless of what has changed since then or not changed? It's like, it's just crazy to me that you're supposed to do it. Yeah. So I just, I have no, I, I honestly, I, I tell you, man, I don't mind talking about it because I think people should discuss it, but I couldn't, it's like, if you listen to things Aaron does not care about, Aaron does not care who stands or doesn't, Aaron doesn't care if two men want to get married or two women want to get married, Aaron doesn't care about interracial <laughs> this or interracial that. Like, talk I to us, no Aaron. Energy. <laughs> no, I just have no energy in my life to yeah. worry about what other people are doing and these, these things. Like, like, it's just, can we just stop? Yeah. <laughs> when are we going to stop as a society worrying about this kind of nonsense? It's just mind boggling to me. I, I agree with you 100%. I definitely agree with you on that. And you make a good point there. Um, but I want to stick to, I guess, sort of uh, some NFL talk here, because I know, as you mentioned, you've covered the Seahawks. Um, I think you'll still, will you still be doing some coverage of the Seahawks through like your sports enterprise work or? Yeah, so I'm, my B will be the Blazers. Um, and then I'll do mainly football enterprise. I mean, any sports enterprise. As I come up, I can you know obviously jump on, but right. uh, with a, with an emphasis on football since I you know I've covered football. That's that's my main my main main sport that I've been involved with all my life. So I'll still do some ducks, a lot of duck stuff here and there. As a matter of fact, I have I have a bunch of duck stories on my plate that I'm gonna get to as soon as bubble stuff's over. Um, and then you know I'll probably maybe jump in here and there, do some beaver stuff, and then some Seahawks stuff. And uh, so yeah, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep keep you know at least you know a couple toes in the football world as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, for one, I think the Seahawks have a legit chance if a season can somehow be complete within the NFL to win a Super Bowl this year. I just feel like they have a chance every year because they got one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in Russell Wilson. And anytime you got a great quarterback, you kind of have a puncher's chance to be able to to do the unthinkable. But 
I feel like right now the Seahawks kind of have that Legion of Boom spirit on paper um, because of some of the moves that they've made this offseason and free agency, et cetera. It feels like that defense is coming together like it once was during the Legion of Boom times. But before we can even get to discussing the Super Bowl and what predictions are and what expectations are for the Seahawks this season, do you see the NFL being able to complete a season at all, especially kind of from the lens of you're already covering a league that's having some success with this bubble, which I don't think the NFL is going to be able to have a bubble. Do you see the NFL being able to complete a season this year? Oh, you know, I think it's going to be pretty uh, tough. Um, you know, you look at baseball, you look at the Marlins already with all the, the uh, infections they had. You look at um, the Cardinals just had a rash of them. Uh, so you just wonder with a team with, you know, if they keep, you know, the practice squad, it's, it's, you're looking at 60 guys who are not in a bubble. How do you keep 60 players from not going out and doing whatever and having contact with people who are not, you know, doing the right things necessarily. It just takes one. You know, it takes one player and goes out with their buddy who hasn't been social distancing, catches it from him. You think, oh, he doesn't have it. He's healthy. Catches it from him, brings it to practice, gives it to 10 people. Boom. That's exactly how it happens. Like, yeah. you know, it just spreads. And then some coaches have it, the staff have it. Boom. Team has to shut down. Um, so with 32 teams, it's just, I just feel like the math is against you. And we've already seen some trouble with it in baseball. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I think you just have to keep the rosters really deep. I think if someone gets it, you got to go through the quarantine protocol. You got to get them out of there. You got to, you know, bring other people up, you know, from practice squad or whatever to, to play games, um, and hope that you're in a situation where you can still field a competitive team. I think some teams are going to, you know, lose games because they had some key guys get COVID and that's just going to be part of the, you know, part of the race is going to be, you know, who can keep their players, you know, away from COVID, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. So I don't know. It's gonna, yeah, it's, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see how they pull it off. Um, so my, you know, I think in my heart, I really want them to play and I want things to be fine. But I think if, if you ask me to put money on it, I would bet that uh, if they pull it off, there's going to be a lot of modification along the way. And maybe some teams that end up dropping out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I could definitely see something like that happening. And, and indeed, I just do not see uh, football season being able to be completed. I, I definitely have little to no hope for the ML, MLB being able to complete the season after the outbreaks that they've had. And really? I think football, yeah, I just don't see it. I just don't see them being able to complete it. But, but, but the only reason why they may complete it anyway is because of where people that run that sport tend to stand being that it is America's sport. And I'll just say that being that it's known as kind of being this old traditional American sport, many people that are pushing that narrative in society right now don't hardly believe in the COVID-19 pandemic anyway. So maybe when you kind of think about it from that lens, baseball may be able to complete a season But when you kind of try to translate that into a league like the NFL that is a primarily black black league, you might get a little bit more pushback on that front rather than a league where you don't have nearly as many blacks. And the tradition is kind of aligned with a, a group of people that more so don't really believe that this COVID-19 pandemic thing is real anyway. But that's just me rambling off there. But I do want to stick to... 
I do want to stick to football, now college football, because as you mentioned, you'll be covering the Ducks. You've been covering the Ducks. You'll be covering the Beavers. You've been covering the Beavers. Both of those teams happen to be in the Pac-12. And obviously a big storyline out there right now is this boycott. Essentially, a lot of these players are coming together to boycott Pac-12 football this year. Um, because of a a real concern when it comes to COVID-19. And that also is now extending out into um, some social justice concerns because you had a lot of these colleges and universities and and the NCAA come out with these statements in support of Black Lives Matter. So everybody is just kind of in this mood of awakeness right now. What are your thoughts on the Pac-12 boycott that is kind of forming and taking place in this very moment? And what do you see could actually come from it? Man, my thoughts are all over the place on that. I don't even like, it's just so, it's getting so uh, contentious and bizarre right now. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, when Mike Lottie made like a million dollars a year, uh, you know, I didn't think that you should have to pay players. I thought the scholarship was enough. Don't, don't devalue the, the, value of a scholarship which i think is a huge amazing um component to a young person's life to get a full ride to college i mean really uh but as as coaches started making more and more money right you got to the point where assistant coaches are making a million dollars in some schools and ad's are making a million dollars at some schools it's like okay wait a minute now things are just preposterous yeah you gotta pay you gotta pay the labor force right uh something uh, and it can be, you can be creative in a lot of different ways and how you do that. We could spend an entire show discussing that. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think it's time for some form of compensation. And I think that reality on top of the fact that you're asking these kids to come back and play during a pandemic when you really cannot guarantee their safety or the safety of their family, um, you're, you're basically reaching a point where you're saying, okay, we want this to happen, even though we're not going to let students come back to school. But we want this to happen because there's so much money involved. And all the people who are going to get the money are the coaches and the ADs and who keep their paychecks and then, you know, the universities, et cetera, et cetera, and the TV stations, et cetera. But the players aren't getting jacked. And that's a huge problem. So from that standpoint, I believe they definitely are in a position to say, hey, wait a minute. If y'all want us to play, so you can get those big paychecks, you have to guarantee this and maybe kick some down to us. Now, 50% of revenue, ridiculous. That's not going to happen. Like, right. that's just lunacy. But, hey, you start high, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People. Aim high. You told me yeah. that once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ask for 50, maybe you only get 15. You know what I'm saying? But you ask. But I just, dude, I, you know, like, you don't think MLB is going to survive or we're both skeptical on football. How does college football get through this? College kids making the right decisions for 12 weeks and not infecting a team and then infecting the other team and infecting coach. Like, I just don't see how it's possibly going to happen. You, like, I just, I mean, Oregon's had trouble for decades keeping people out of Taylor's. You know, yeah, that's gonna, a fact. Now you're all you're gonna say, you know, stay <laughs> away fact. from, stay away from all these, you know, coeds walking around. You know, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, a lot of students are gonna be on campus, but still, there's still, there's still a woman in Eugene. Like, it's just, I, I don't know, man. I, I think it's gonna be a, a not. I want to say a disaster, but I think we like there's gonna be an injury report for each team and a COVID report. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Speaking of Taylor's. 
I went to college at Pacific University like five years ago. You went to college at Pacific University a lot longer ago than that. A lot longer, yeah. I'm going to just say that. Did y'all used to go to Taylor's? Did y'all used to travel down and party in Eugene as well during your college days? Or did you kind of stick to Forest Grove? Because I know when I was in college, I was always in Eugene. And Taylor Were you really? Was really the hot spot. Oh, yeah. I was throwing parties in Eugene. I was, do- I was, I was doing a lot. I was doing a lot. We were, I no, was in we Eugene weren't. very often. But granted, yeah, no, granted I was a JUCO transfer. So when I came to Pacific, I was already, I had just turned 21 years old. I was already older where I didn't really have to live on campus. So I kind of was already kind of more so grown and didn't really, I don't know what it's like to live in a college dorm, never did it. So I was just kind of already spreading my wings and, you know, touching different places that I could anyway, obviously when I had the time and the chance to. So I was out there definitely often enough. Gotcha. Uh, No, man. I, I, I mean, I remember it was a big deal. A bunch of us drove to Salem to a nightclub. But, you know, the the huge, the biggest difference by far between you and I went is, is the cell phone and the smartphone. So, like, you could know via social media and, you know, touching base with whoever you knew in Eugene or, the, you know, uh, the, through the grapevine, where, oh, there's a party in Eugene. You know, yeah. you're, that instant communication. Whereas back when I was in college, calling from Forest Grove to Gresham was a long-distance call. Yeah. Calling from Forest Grove to Eugene obviously was a long-distance call. So how would you even know? that there was these amazing places to go to, assuming they were, all the way in Eugene, unless you really knew someone down there who called you and then you kind of had to relay it in a different way. So, yeah, we, I, the group I hung out with, and I don't remember anyone else making that trek, uh, we, the furthest we went was Salem. Uh, I remember going to some club that was supposed to be the hot spot go a couple times, and then we go into Portland sometimes. Uh, but really the big thing was the cattle company in Beaverton. Ah. That became sort of a hot spot. Okay. In, in Beaverton, which was only maybe 20, 25 minutes from Forest Grove. So that's right. where it became the place where the 21 and over crowd from Pacific or those with fake IDs would try to go to. Okay, got it, got it. Way to give me the history there, Fentress, because <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but I am glad that you mentioned the invention of the cell phone. And this is going to transition into my last question here for you, um, because obviously with the cell phone came a lot of changes, especially within the field of work that you and I both work in, being journalists, working in the media, all that. But I'm just four years in the game of doing this kind of work. I'm still, you know, doing my work here at Street Roots, working for that news pu- newspaper publication, um, doing my podcast, you know, hosting the Street Roots podcast as well, as you all heard me stumble and call this the Street Roots podcast earlier. Um, still doing my stuff at Portland State, you know, doing the TV commentary for Portland State University's men's basketball team and doing the commentary for Pacific's men's and women's teams as well. But you've been in the game for 30 years. You've already kind of said it, 21 years at the Oregonian initially, and you might've even had a gig before that. I just don't know that far back. Um, then the last seven years, you've, you've done some work on TV with NBC. You've done some work with The Athletic, and now you're back here at the Oregonian. What has been the key ingredient because you've had all of this change, especially after the invention of the cell phone, 
what's been the key ingredient for you to have a career for this long of a time in sports journalism in particular, but even if you want to make it more widespread and just say the entire journalism industry, because it's hard to last 30 years in an industry like that. What's <laughs> been the key ingredient for you? And do you think that key ingredient translate to these younger journalists that are coming up in an entirely different time that you came up in in your career? You know, I, I would say that number one thing is just being versatile and being willing to adapt. And I think the younger generation is being raised in that environment because of how they're being taught to be journalists now versus when I was taught, you know, it was, I mean, we, it was either TV, radio, or print. And now you've got, you know, still those things exist, but the way people report online is different. The way people blog is different. The advent of the, you know, information superhighway with the, you know, the internet and the smartphones, it's just different how we do things. Um, and just to illustrate that, when I was at the Oregonian early on, you know, typically, you know, as a reporter, you'd want to write four articles a week, probably. Uh, as you covered a football team during the season, you might write five or six. Uh, and that would give you 200 plus a year. That would be a, a pro- prolific year. Well, in 2005, <clears throat> they told us, okay, you're going to start posting your own articles to the website, not just giving it to us for the paper. And then we want you to blog on top of that. So all of a sudden, we were supposed to write additional articles each week just for online. Some reporters in our sports department at the Oregonian rebelled against this. They thought it was crazy. How are you going to pay us more? <laughs> it's like, no, this is your new job duty. Yeah. So we were being asked to produce more copy uh, without more pay. Now, me, I was loving it. I was like, wait a minute. So I can write whatever I want on Oregon Live? You know, because it was a different standard for what you wrote for the paper versus what you wrote uh, for online. You could be, you know, pontificate more. They're like, right. yeah, do whatever you want. I'm like, cool. So I embraced it. So that's just an example of me being willing to adapt to something that a lot of people, my colleagues would not adapt to. They did not like having to do that. And then of course, later on, um, you know, I moved into TV and I'd done some radio and podcasting and this and that and that and this. And so it, it's allowed me to, to list of all these things on my resume that I've done as opposed to just being a writer only. And so I, I do believe though, that the younger generation is being raised that way now anyway. Like you're being taught, they're being taught journalism differently than I was. They're being taught how to do things differently than I did. Um, and so, you know, who knows what the next changes are going to be in the next 10, 15, 20 years. So if you want to last in this business, you have to be willing to try and do different things and not complain about it. Man, that is game on top of game right there. Well, Aaron Fentress, man, I appreciate you so much for taking time out of your day that you obviously didn't have to to join me here on the Wake Up and Win podcast. Wait, you said you had some incriminating <laughs> evidence against me and I had to come on or you were going to put it out. We might didn't have to. <laughs> my guy, my guy. That's why we had to have you here, man. And like I said, man, I'm, I'm grateful. Like I said, my fellow boxer comrade, um, and, and you just, like I said, somebody that I respect in this industry, somebody that I I look to when it comes to the work that you do, the work that you put out there, definitely your hot takes and opinions. And you're just somebody that that I'm appreciative to to know within this industry and and be a homie with. So thank you again so much for joining us on the Wake Up and Win podcast. Where can they find you at? Where can they find your work, your content, all that good stuff? Well, of course, (coughs) OregonLive.com. I think backslash Blazers or Trailblazers. Or just go to OregonLive.com and you'll find all the sports stuff there. And then my Twitter is Aaron J. Fentress. And my Instagram is the same thing. That's where you can find me. 
Hello, hello, Will Fentress again, man. Thank you for joining, and we'll get you back on here sometime. Sure, we'll, we'll get, let's do it. We'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get an update from you. Maybe if the Blazers continue to carry on along here as the season progresses in the bubble. So so don't don't think I won't be uh I won't be too shabby to reach back out to you and ask you to come back on here, man. We need a we need an update after the Lakers wax the Clippers. <laughs> Yeah, we can do that. I'm down for it. Oh, because I'm going to tell you this, Fentress. When the Clippers beat the Lakers, or if the Clippers beat the Lakers, ooh, you the first one I'm coming to. You are the first one I'm coming to. I'm going to block you. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, Fentress, man. Have a good one. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye.